From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season six of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for wine enthusiasts around the world. Featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley and beyond. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody. It is Wine Crush Podcast time. It is season six, episode eight. This season is flying by and dragging its feet all at the same time. I feel like we've been in here a lot and we're only on episode eight, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So anyhow, we have a great show today. We have Tom Alillo with Olia Vineyards and his lovely wife, Melinda, who says she's going to stay silent, but we'll see what happens. And then the ever fabulous Chris Thompson with uh, Celestial Hills. So we are going to start with Tom today, and we'll see if Melinda chimes in here in a little bit. But let's talk about your story, because I know there's a lot to your story prior to your life as a wine owner, wine guy. Yeah, there is a lot. Uh, Day job, I'm a foot and ankle surgeon. I work in a large group in the Portland metro area. Uh, I've been in the Portland area for 20 plus years now. And first got into wine with my dad, actually, who was a big wine guy, had very good taste, so I was very spoiled, and came to Oregon and just fell in love with it. And in 2013, I had the opportunity to plant our vineyard, and it was kind of a combination of this romantic dream that I had of living on a vineyard and this just intense loathing of having to mow a lawn. Now, see, and I loved to mow a lawn. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, no, it's like my favorite uh, thing. And I think, honestly, it was because it was the one time my kids knew that if they bothered me, I would find chores for them. Oh. So it was my quiet time as they were growing up. I like that. Yeah. No, there is nothing satisfying about taking <laughs> care of grass. <laughs> to me, I would much rather be on my tractor in the vineyard. That's my happy place. Everybody has a different happy place. So, you know, mine might be on the lawnmower and yours is on the tractor. Kind of the same piece of equipment, just a little bit different. Yeah. And the tractor mows the lawn too. It does, but it's much more satisfying when you're tilling earth and just destroying blackberry bushes. Okay, fair enough. I Okay, I can totally identify <laughs> with that. So, okay, carry on. Okay, so you have this lovely vineyard. You are a podiatrist. Do not ask him to look at your feet. That is not what he wants to do when you come to drink wine, That's please. my favorite party game. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but every, I think, doctor is also worse nightmare when you find out what they do. So you have more to your past and your history than just being a doctor and having this loathe for grass. You have a music thing in your background, too. Yeah. In 2010, we started a small record label, also named Olea. And it came out of just this desire to do something creative outside of my day job. What I do gets pretty intense and takes a lot of energy. So I happened to meet a few guys who were in a band back in 2009. And as we developed this relationship. They needed help from a business standpoint. And like I said, I was looking for something creative. Started the record label, signed them on as our first artists and produced three albums with them. And then when we came to planting the vineyard and naming it, uh, we thought it would be great to combine the two passions for music 
and wine. So the vineyard name is the same as the record label. So the question is, do you play music as well? No, I play the checkbook. (laughs) It's my (laughs) instrument. It's interesting that someone who doesn't play music would start a music label. But I think there was some background with that other than your creative need and outlet to help somebody out. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a music fan. Music has been such a big part of my life. I think about just memories and like important moments in my life. And there's always some kind of a soundtrack to it. And when I started working with one from many, the band, I realized they had this amazing story to tell and they just didn't really have the means to get it out there. And for me to be able to do that was just as important as me picking up an instrument and getting up on stage with them. It's, I mean, it's just kind of a different side of the passion. I mean, it's not the actual creation. It's the almost love and appreciation for it on the other side. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of learning about the music and industry and just art in general. I would do it all over again. As many struggles as we had and as frustrating as it was, as sometimes it was just, it was very fulfilling. I think, I mean, you can almost take that to the wine side of things too, because I mean, even though... You may not grow the grapes, which you do. You can still have a passion and a love and affirmation or whatever on the other side is just the wine drinker as well to where you don't have to be like maybe both sides. You can be one side or the other and still carry that passion throughout the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. I think there's so much art in wine and winemaking that there are a lot of parallels. Absolutely. And I love it when people go down the art road with wine because we hear the science side of it and you're definitely a science guy with your medical backgrounds. Not everybody applies winemaking to an art, and it's nice to kind of hear that. Oh, yeah. Just even tasting and drinking wine. It's a different experience for everybody. So it just, like I said, just like music, wine is art. Yep. And it's a little time capsule in a bottle, which yeah. is just that much more fun, right? Yeah, for sure. So what does olea mean? Am I saying that right? Olea. Olea. I knew that wasn't right. Either, there was a little more fancy like swing right there in the middle of it that I was e- missing. Yeah, either that or I've been saying it wrong for... 12 years. Let's Um, go with yours. It sounds better than mine. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Olea Olea. is Latin for all of its Latin genus for olive tree. When I was thinking up names for the record label, I originally wanted olive, but that name was actually taken already. So we started just brainstorming. And one of the guys in the band actually said, Hey, how about Olea? And the significance of it for me is It's a tribute to our Italian heritage and the olive tree have a lot of symbolism, wisdom, nobility, power. And I just felt like it spoke a lot to what we were trying to do. It's nice being able to bring that symbolism. And I don't know, I think of wine and yes, you think of France, but you also very much think of Italy. And the olive tree, as we have learned in the past from one of our past interviews, is a piece of life and health and history. And there's so much to olives and olive oil and what it does for the body, let alone, you know, it tastes lovely as well. Agreed. Yeah. And it pairs well with wine. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you have to have some charcuterie and cheese and stuff. There's all of that that just kind of goes together in this really nice, lovely package. So I think you've kind of, you've kind of nailed it. Thank you. Let's shift directions just a little bit and talk about the wine because For being a small winery, you are definitely what I would consider a boutique. You have quite the lineup. So let's talk about your lineup, but also where you're at, because 
you're in a unique location of the valley. Yeah, we are up on Parrot Mountain in Sherwood. So we're Shahala Mountains AVA. Our vineyard is Pinot Noir, 100%. We have about two-thirds Pomard clone and one-third Vaudensville. So all of our state wines are some form of Pinot Noir. And then every year we try and source other varietals from different regions, just to have a little bit of a variety in the tasting room so that people aren't just tasting Pinot or our various iterations of it. And right now we have eight different wines that we're pouring. Uh, We have a Sauvignon Blanc from here in the Willamette Valley. And then we have a, a white Pinot Noir, a rosé of Pinot Noir, a sparkling rosé of Pinot Noir. And those are all from our 2022 vintage, all estate fruit. And then we're pouring two of our red Pinots, our 2019 and our 2018. And then we have two wines that we sourced from Walla Walla. One is a Tempranillo and one is a Cabernet Sauvignon. That's a smoking lineup. You have a little bit of everything for every palate. Yeah, that's kind of the way we approach it. And I always tell people, if there's something on here you don't like or you don't want to taste, that's fine. If you taste it and you don't like it, the plants always need fertilizer. So it's all good. (laughs) That actually makes me feel better because when we have leftover wine or leftover something rather laying around here, which seems to happen somewhat often, my plants are all watered with leftover wine, maybe some leftover coffee. (laughs) None of them have died. Yeah, that's good. So they're all very happy, but I feel guilty when I water them with wine that's been left over or something. It just isn't good to drink anymore. So, okay, thank you. Yeah, we also have a couple of uh, experiments with vinegar right now. So anytime we open a bottle and either don't finish it before it goes bad or on the rare occasion that we open something that we don't like, that ends up in the vinegar crock. We'll see where that ends up. I want to try that. So is it more like aging it or letting it continue to ferment into more like a balsamic? Is that more or less what it is or is it something different? Yeah, I think the less attention you pay to it and the longer it sits, the more interesting it gets. So So do you leave it uncapped? No, we have it slightly breathing. Got it. Interesting. Okay. I have two bottles sitting on my counter right now and between maybe starting sourdough and now maybe starting vinegar, <laughs> I now have like my third, fourth, and fifth job that have things for me to look forward to taking care of. The nice thing about the vinegar is it doesn't require a lot of attention. Which is perfect yeah. for my unbusy lifestyle. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about your Pinots a little bit. Hold on, before we go there, let's talk about the names on these bottles. Because I started asking you about these and I'm like, nope, hold that thought because I want to hear it again. Because it's been a few months since I've been up to the right. house. Yeah. As a tribute to our music and the record label and the artists that we work with, when we name our wines, we name them after songs from the artists uh, that we've worked with on the record label. That's kind of a really nice, I don't know, homage to them. Yeah. And a little extra pat on the back and shout out to all the hard work that they're putting into it. Yeah, we feel that way. And, and it's been really interesting and somewhat serendipitous because we name the wines before we actually bottle them and get a really good idea of what they're going to taste like. And at least for our Pinots, every wine has held true to the name on the label as far as the meaning behind the song and the theme. So it's been fun. We've got four vintages in the bottle right now. And so far, every single one of them has held true to the to the song name. 
Well, this one sitting in front of me is fool's gold. So let's dissect that one and find the meaning behind that. So fool's gold, the song is basically about chasing false idols, so to speak. And there's a line in the song that says, position, powers, prestige, and you know the words, Melinda? She's still being silent. Give me the bottle. And I don't have my reading glasses. I can go get you my reading glasses if you want. <laughs> They'll look so cute. Not important. Yes. Listen to the song. Yes. <laughs> there is a line in the song that talks about that. And 2019 was an interesting year here in the Valley because we had a really nice growing season. And then September 1st, it rained. and it rained. Which is a great day, by the way. Yeah. Is that your birthday? It is. Of course. Yes. <laughs> it rained the entire month and everybody in the Valley was nervous about what was going to happen with the grapes. And we just held on and did a lot of spraying and a lot of praying. And first, second week in October, we pulled the grapes off the vines and the wine turned out amazing. It's really complex. It's got a lot of layers to it. And like I said, fool's gold is kind of about just finding what really matters and what's true and not chasing those false dreams and false idols. So that was a perfect growing season to to highlight that. So did you actually pick that name before then? You did say that, yes. Yeah, because we picked the name in March, bottled in September. So I kind of had an idea. I was hoping that I was right with this one, as far as naming it Fool's Gold. Okay, well, I'm going to move over to the sparkling rosé that we're drinking that's ultraspective, because I don't even know what that word means. It's not a word. Okay, uh, okay, well, so, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, there's a song by the band One for Many called Retrospective, and Retrospective is about relationships, really. But we had a DJ, a local DJ, who did a couple remixes of Retrospective, and he named one ultraspective, which is kind of a more upbeat kind of club music. And then he named the other one introspective, which is a little bit more slow, a little bit more subtle. So when we did the two different rosés, the still and the sparkling, we named the still introspective and the sparkling ultraspective. Just kind of as our little tribute remix of the the retrospective name. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. See now, now I know what both of these wines mean. I may not remember them necessarily, but... It's all I, written on the back of the bottle. <laughs> other than we can't read it because we don't have our right. glasses with us. Old other than eyes. I do see that you have Melinda's glasses in your hand. To yeah, wear I don't think pink, it's going to help, pink, to be honest red, with you. I don't know. Always cute when, you know, a wife pulls her glasses out for the husband to read the menu. That's my girl. Or, or to read the bottle. Yes, yes. I don't know how many times I have read the menu to my husband because he refuses to put on glasses, so... Your arm reach only goes so far before the words completely get out of reach, I guess. Okay, so of all the wines that you have Don't in ask your me what lineup, my favorite is. I'm going to, because I think it's a good question. You have eight that yeah. you're currently serving. So what is your go-to? If you have a decent day, like a good day at work, what is your go-to bottle? I would say the Tempranillo. And if you have a bad day? Oh, definitely the Tempranillo. <laughs> okay, so see, there we go. The Tempranillo is it must be somewhat the favorite. It's hard because you know you start picking your favorite children, and it depends on the day. Yeah, it definitely yeah. depends on the day. Yeah, my kids have always sworn that the oldest is my favorite. It depends on the day and who's made me mad that day. They all have had their turn. Yeah, and the so. wine's same thing. It's one week, 
someone will be on and someone will be off. Yeah, You know, it is. And I get given a hard time, I think, by friends, by colleagues, whatever, because I don't always drink Pinot. It's not my first reach. There's a lot of Pinot in the Valley. It's obviously what Oregon is known for. But I love a great white wine. Some days I love a great Pinot. Some days, you know, we do the big, the bigger reds. Mm -hmm. Or I have to drink sparkling by myself. Eric will not drink sparkling with me. He doesn't like it, whatever. It's a little sacrilegious, but whatever. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with a great sparkling wine. Eh, whatever. I agree. And, And Melinda's the same way. She's not a big bubbles fan. So when we break open the bubbles, she'll have a glass and then I'll either finish the bottle or end up dumping half of it in the garden. Or you could turn it into a spritzer. That's Or I have a really hard time mixing really great wine with a mimosa. I cringe oh, yeah. every time my friends bring out a big, a good bottle and I'm like, don't do that. That's what, <laughs> that's what cooks is for, right? you know, or something. That's what the big bottle at Costco is for. Yes. Don't ruin good wine. So what's new on the table for 2023? Any new wines that are on the table? Nothing new. We're going to go back to doing our our standard estate Pinot Noir. We skipped that in 2022 just to get a little bit more variety with the white and then the two pink wines. We're also sourcing grapes from Walla Walla. We've got a another Tempranillo coming and some Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we'll see. Sometimes things just fall in our lap. We ended up with a Syrah from Walla Walla from 2020 that's still sitting unlabeled. We're waiting to release that probably within the next two years, just because it needs more time. Syrah kind of has a tendency to do that. I've had several straws that have been given to me and I've tried and they're like, okay, this is a baby. This is young. And it's four years old at that time, which I mean, typically like with Pinot, you have 18 months, two years on, you know, until you release it or whatever. But with Syrahs, they almost need four, five, 10 years to where they maybe settle down yeah. and get a little less rambunctious. So- soften up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yep. Our straw is big. Yeah. I think anything from Walla Walla Valley, for the most part, is going to be on the bigger side. Yeah. yeah. Everything's a little bit chewy, a little bit jammier, but you know what? I love it. Oh, it's that's, all, it's yeah. all good stuff. I like a really great fruity wine that doesn't taste over-oaked, not too many tannins. I mean, I know I'm weird in a lot of respects because people love big tannins sometimes. It's not my jam. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one thing that I've learned kind of in this whole wine thing that I've been doing the last six or seven years is that once you learn what you like, because a wine list has always been so incredibly intimidating to me, you go in and some of them are books. They're not just a list. They are literally a book of pages. And some of them are three, four, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a bottle. And it's really hard to decipher. You're going down the list going, okay, that one's only 100 that one's 150 mm-hmm. Okay, these are kind of maybe. But if you ask the psalm and tell them what your palate and perspective is, they usually pick you a really nice wine. So that's just kind of a hint to those listening that have the same issues. I always have a tendency to order a beer. If it's overwhelming to me, I'll just take an IPA and, <laughs> call, it, and call it good. I do. <laughs> and even to this day, like it, especially if there's not like good help in the restaurant, either the wait staff doesn't know their wine list or they don't have a SOM or whatever. I'm like, yep, never mind. Just never mind. I'll take the IPA or whatever it is. I was going to say the one I really like, but we don't need to do that today. Got it. So, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about your your tasting room up at the house and your tasting room, at least the day that I was there, came with two very cute little dogs. Oh, yes. Yes. Lola and Molly. Molly's our golden retriever. 
And Lola is a French bulldog, and they're the winery mascots. They love everybody and everything, although Molly's more a people person. Lola is very, very food-oriented. But they'll come out and visit if people allow, and they mostly have good manners. But we do love having people out up on the property. We have a great patio area. We have indoor space, and we've got an amazing view We have chickens besides the dogs, so there's lots to look at. And what we want is we want people to have a good experience. As you mentioned before, there's a lot of really good wines in the valley. And what we want is people to come and learn about us and enjoy our wine and have fun and not feel pressure or pretense. We don't have any tasting notes. We just let people decide what it tastes like and what they like and what they don't. That's always what I tell people when they ask me about our wines. I say, you know, there's really only two kinds of wines in the world. There's wines you like and wines you don't like. And I'm not going to tell you what you're tasting or what you should like or what you shouldn't. I'm going to let you make that decision. I really appreciate that because I'm not a tasting notes person because it almost feels like you're doing it wrong when you don't taste. (laughs) And I don't have a good palate for that unless it's something very like distinct and whatever. I just want to enjoy it. I don't want to pick it apart. And I know I'm not maybe the norm because a lot of people like to figure out what is in the wine and what the tertiary flavors are and the secondary flavors and blah. It's For me, it's exhausting. and It's a lot of pressure. And everybody's different. So even though I might taste, I don't know, currant and raspberry in this, you may taste strawberries and blueberries. It just, it's all palate driven. And I think that for me was the biggest intimidating factor of getting into the wine and trying it is that the tasting notes and it's not like that for everybody. So don't take what I'm saying as the Bible by any means for anybody that's listening. But for me, I love the fact that you don't have tasting notes because I can just come in and enjoy something. And if I don't like it, it's okay. I always thought it was really offensive to go, oh yeah, that's not my thing and mm-hmm. offend somebody and hurt their feelings. But honestly, I think as a winemaker and a wine owner, you appreciate that because there is wine for everybody. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm the same way that, that you are. I would love to be able to taste everything on the tasting notes, but unless it's a really bold flavor, I don't always pick it out, but I do. I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And that's the kind of tasting experience we want people to have. I don't, I don't know what macerated blueberries taste like, nor <laughs> do I think I need to, because as a physician, macerated means chewed up. I don't know if I want somebody's ABC blueberries in my wine. <laughs> I haven't heard that since probably grade school. Thank you for bringing me back to what Anytime. ABC means. Yes. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our best tasting experience have literally been sitting on rickety old chairs in the middle of a vineyard with some guy in dirty overalls who brought out his wine in a milk crate and just sat and talked with us for probably 45 minutes about the vineyard, about winemaking, about the wines. And I'll tell you, the wine was great. I don't know what it tasted like, but I'll remember that forever. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of wine is that it creates an experience, whether it's with food or in a vineyard or wherever. I mean, we just got back from Portugal and just the things that I experienced, I will never forget. And it's not the wine that I drank necessarily. Like I won't remember that it's a 2015, Corte de Quinta, you know, whatever. It's the fact that we were 
in that place, in that moment with those people enjoying it in that spot. And I'm more likely to remember the food and the amazing whatever we just had. And I think that is what the beauty of wine is that it creates those experiences and you glom onto and hold onto whatever it was that hit your heart. Very true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I would remember the rickety old chair and the farmer and the overalls and the milk crate more than I would that it was a blah, blah, blah that was in the bottle. I think that's what's special about wine and makes it romantic and makes it everlasting, I guess, to a certain extent. Agreed. Yeah. So let's figure out where people come to see you. And I want to give a little bit of a shout out to Melinda and what she does, because I think every homeless pet shelter needs a little bit of extra love. So she's going to pull the mic up here in just a second and at least give a little bit of a shout out to her board and what she does, because everybody should have a cute little dog or cat that is homeless that needs a new family. So why don't we plug you right now and then we'll take you back off the mic and we'll finish up. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew I'd get you one way or the other. We had- so I am on the board of directors at the Newburgh Animal Shelter and I just have had a passion for helping those those little creatures that can't help themselves. They're put here by whatever circumstance and either they've been surrendered or found or whatever it may be, but they need homes. So I'm glad to be part of an establishment where we can help find them their next forever home because they deserve that. They uh, can't advocate for themselves, so they need us. They all need us. So I encourage everybody to, if you're looking for a pet or someone to look for a pet, reach out to the shelters in your community. Or if you're around Newburgh, come to the Newburgh Animal Shelter and see the current dogs, their cats that we have. We have lots of kittens. We take a lot of imports from shelters that are kill shelters. We import probably weekly. So we bring them to our shelter, which is a no-kill shelter, and we take care of them until they're adopted. So when in doubt, adopt, don't shop. So very close to my heart. So thank you for what you do. Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's figure out where we're going to find you. So if we wanted to come taste, what is the process? Through our website, oleavineyards.com, there's a way to get in touch with us via email or telephone. We are open by appointment only. So the easiest, best way is just send us an email with your request, and then we'll try and accommodate as much as we can. And then as far as social media, that's where everybody starts. Yes, we are on Instagram. We do have a Facebook page, which links to our Instagram. And we were too old for Twitter and TikTok. (laughs) So we're stuck with Instagram and Facebook. You know what? It's a good start. I'm not very far behind you. Twitter is a maddening for me, but I have been told that I should do TikTok and then my daughter promptly blocked me. So, (laughs) you know, so there's always that. I'm not that embarrassing, but maybe I am. So anyhow, thank you to you both. We haven't talked about the wine. I'm the only one that has poured your Pinot. Before we go, got to talk about the Pinot. Really lovely. Thank you. The Fool's Gold is really lovely. It has really nice structure. I'm the only one that apparently is the drunk at the table because I'm the only one that poured myself (laughs) a glass. So thank you so much for joining us and coming and being part of our party we did like a month or two ago. It's been so lovely getting to know the both of you and just thank you for everything. Well, likewise. Thank you. It's been great being here. Yes. So it's time 
for us all to refill our glasses because I've now had my two glasses of wine and it's now empty. And it is time for Chris with Celestial Hills to come up next. So sit back, relax, actually go to the kitchen, grab yourself another glass of wine and then grab a seat because we're going to be right back. Okay, glasses are full, at least around the table here. We have moved on to the wines of Celestial Hill. And as always, because I'm infamous for butchering people's names, it is Chris Thomas with Celestial Hill and not Thompson. And I should know better. You should know better. How long long have I known you? You were one of the very first people (laughs) in the area that I met. I think I met you before I moved here. You did. You were still in Texas. uh, Right. I'm looking for help. I'm calling people to help Uh me out. And I found Heidi. Yes. uh, She screws your name up on air. Yes. But you know what? We're all human. That's right. That's right. And I get confused sometimes between... You have a few names that you're trying to remember in your Rolodex, right? I do, but I should freaking know. Shame on me. I'm so sorry. All right. You are forgiven. Yes. Thank you. All right. But with an official interview introduction, it is Chris Thomas with Celestial Hill Wines. And even celestial is hard for me to say because I had a speech <laughs> impediment as a child with S's and that is a lot of sh in all one word. So, Well, you know, Thomas Wines was taken. Right? John beat me to it. Not that Thomas Wines would be maybe super original. It's what kind of a lot of people do. I could have read maybe the name the off best, the... <laughs> the best Pinot Noir in the world is already taken by John. Yes. We didn't want to go there. Well, there you go. Thank you for joining us. And when I did meet you, you were still Mr. Executive, living in Texas, being a big wig. Yeah. And since then, you have moved to beautiful McMinnville. Yeah. Bought a farm, bought a house, started yeah. a winery, yeah. retired... Yes, all and those. You, and you are busy as all living hell. Yeah, I don't know where there was any time to do like real work and make money. So now we just, now we farm and I've been very humbled, learned a lot. And I think everybody tells me, Chris, you just look like a different person. And I think that's true. I think the wine business and farming has transformed Melissa and I, and we're having a lot of fun. You are definitely a lighter soul and individual than when I first met you. That's probably true. Yes. You definitely had a little bit of um, the weight of corporate America sitting on your shoulders and children that were in and out of college or whatever. And you had a lot going, I don't know, four years ago, three years ago? Yeah, three kids in college and luckily two of them are out. So got one left, but we're almost there. One left on the payroll and... I'm done being on planes every week, which is really nice. And, you know, we built the winery up to a scale that it needed the full-time attention. When we started off, it was an existing vineyard, 22-year-old vineyard when we bought it. And so we started slow. And then now we're at that place where it's time to really get the brand out there. So let's rewind to a few years ago. And you've decided that Texas is not the place and you want to be a wine guy. Yeah. So were you just going to be a vineyard guy or were you going to be a vineyard and a wine guy? Yeah, definitely going to be a vineyard and a wine guy, but probably not go as fast as we did. Like we looked, we spent years looking for the right property. And we, once we found the right property, we knew it. We spent a lot of time making sure it was the right property. You know, there's just something about the property that absolutely told us this is the place where we're supposed to be. 
And so we wanted an existing vineyard. We wanted something where we could continue dry farming it. We wanted those great established roots. We wanted a cool site. So we looked a lot in the coast range, which is where we're at. And we found the perfect site for us. But we ended up going faster than we wanted to. 20 was our first vintage. And, you know, if 20 didn't kill you, you knew you were, you were meant to do this. And it didn't kill us. We made some lovely wines in, in 2020. But because of what was going on in 20, we didn't decided not to sell any fruit. We just went in and scaled it back, very low yield. We just did one ton per acre. We didn't actually even farm at all. It started slow, and then we've just we've ramped it up since then. So you just said a whole bunch of things all in a very short period of time. You said something about cool sites. You said something about old vines. You said something about whatever it is that else you said. But those are all terms and verbiage used by someone who had some experience in the wine industry, or at least with wine. So have you always been a lover of wine, or was this some romantic, weird notion that you had in corporate America that you needed to get out on the farm and reinvent yourself? We did not grow up in wine, Melissa and I. I mean, I grew up in pretty humble background. There was no wine in the house. So where was this, by the way? So Melissa Please and I, tell me it was someone really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up pretty tough neighborhood in Buffalo, New York. Had a paycheck from the time I was seven years old. And I've always been the guy that has two, three jobs, always. But there was never any wine included. You know, there's no wine in the house. And I think I had my first official glass of wine in, in the mid-90s. And we talk a lot about those memories and experiences that come with wine. For Melissa and I, we were in the mid-90s and, you know, it was um, my first, I guess, quote-unquote corporate job. We got transferred pretty early to Europe and we were in, uh, in Belgium and we didn't have a lot of money. And so we're trying to, you know, we had Ben, who's our oldest, 27. Now he's in, he was in a stroller. And so we would go on our one date night that we could afford we go to this little bistro in, in downtown Brussels and, you know, you're talking 1995. In 1995, downtown Brussels, they did not speak English and my French sucks. We so, have a whole nother conversation to have after this about my experience in Brussels. Okay. And getting off at the wrong train station. Ooh, that could be dangerous in Brussels. It, well, it could be it, interesting, colorful. That's where the conversation is going to lead later. Yes, this is yes, not an on-air yes. conversation. Uh, yes, we no, don't I have know those train stations. My red light district right. yes, potential right. career that's... change. Yes. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here, Heidi. Yes. But we you know we would go to these this bistro on Friday night, and we didn't have a lot of money. And so, true story, real quick, Melissa and I we were quick enough to realize that water cost more than wine, and so you had to buy water in Brussels at a restaurant. And so we said, hey, let's try this table wine stuff. We'd get a craft of wine. And here's what really started it was we had no money. We were just this young couple going to this little bistro in downtown Brussels. And this was our date night. And we saw people eating mussels, drinking wine, having a good time. And the owners of the bistro, they never rushed us out. We weren't spending a lot of money. We were able to come and enjoy the evening and eventually, even though our, our French was horrific, they were so patient with us. We got to the point, like after a couple of months, the owner, the chef, the hostess, they would take Ben out of the stroller if he was fussing and just hand him off to other people so that we could enjoy our evening. And I love that. And, and we said, wow, this is like really, really cool. We can see how people can relax, not rush through a meal, not, not pay attention to what you're eating, just moving on to the next thing, which is how we had been living. And uh, yeah, we love the experience. And that started it. 
And then it just evolved over the next 25 years. I love that because there is something very different with how the Europeans, especially like, like continental Europeans, like Italy, Portugal, Spain, France, apparently Belgium. I did not get that expense, uh, the experience in Brussels. But again, another conversation for a later time. They don't rush food and meals. You know, we were told before we just left for Portugal like a month or two ago to expect like a two to three hour Right. dinner experience. And it's because nothing's rushed. There's the, the aperitif and there's the appetizer and there's the meal and there's the wine. And they want you to sit and enjoy yourself and actually maybe slow down a little bit. Yeah, We as Americans really have a hard time with that. And I'm notorious for it. My husband makes fun of me on a regular basis. As soon as I'm done eating with what I'm doing, my credit card is on the table or whatever it is I'm paying and I'm ready for the check and I'm ready to blow home and yeah. go to bed. Right. Right. And I think that's the beauty of what the Europeans have created is this magic and this experience with this wine and food together is something that we really need to take into consideration. 100%, right? And being present with people that are important to you with some food and some wine. No phones. Is special, right? And sometimes we have to work at it. Mm -hmm. That's really what Celestial Hill is about. So when you come out to the property, what we've built is a place where across the four vineyards that we have, you can hike it. There's a one-mile trail that connects the four vineyards. There's picnic benches in, in all the different vineyards. And people can come and slow down. Yeah. Bring a picnic, bring a lunch, bring a baguette, and grab a bottle of wine and experience the wine that comes from that vineyard, estate, organic wines, and just slow down and enjoy each other's time. So let me ask you, because I know you've retired in the last year. Yep. Yep. How is retired life? How have you slowed down? Because I know the answers to all these things. Yeah, you do. Yes. And let's talk about Farmer Chris and what he's doing now. Yeah. So do I miss it? You know, it's been a year since I've quit the corporate job. I missed the job. I do miss the paycheck. I got to be honest with you. The, the paycheck let's, was kind of nice. Let's talk about how cheap the wine industry is to get into. Oh Just my. bargain basement stuff. Yeah. You better be ready. All the jokes are real. Marry right? rich. Right. Start with 10 to make one. Yeah. It's all very real. So you don't do it for the money. You do it because you love it. You do it because of the passion. Uh, you do it because of the, the people that you end up meeting. I really think there's, and, and I think that's really true about Willamette Valley. I, I think McMinnville for sure, right? Is it's not just the wine that's the drug that gets into your blood. It's the community. It's the people. It's the energy. It's the honesty. It's the integrity. And the things that you can do together that makes your life so much more rich than if you didn't have it. And I know coming from Melissa and I, after spending 25 wonderful years in Dallas, Texas, and now being here in, in, in McMinnville, we feel like while we may have less money, we feel far more rich than we ever were before. It's different. I mean, for those that weren't at the podcast party, which most weren't, that especially that are listening, but it's a really epiphany for me seeing where I was seven years ago with the wine industry and where I am now because I have friended up so hardcore as far as the people that I'm around. And it's not because you all have money and you all have something to offer me and we're drinking and jolly all the time because I think I just told Tom and Melinda earlier, I am not a good party person. Like I don't like going to parties very well because I the introvert in me comes shining through with like red flames right? But the people that were around and the passion and the love that they show for not only their vineyards, but their customers and their wine and their trade and what they're doing, 
is so mesmerizing that I've never been around people like really any of you. And not to say anything bad about my other friends because I have amazing friends in my life, but there's just, there's that apparent passion that you guys have for what you're doing that is really, it's really infectious. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that's hundred percent true. First of all, I should have said this in the beginning, Heidi, big shout out to you. Thank you. I mean, for what you've done with this podcast, you help bring that community together, which is fantastic. You truly were one of the first people I got to know when I moved to Oregon and you helped me out and with the farm and the winery and Carlton and everything. And so big shout out to you. Big thank you. Thank you. Even you inviting me here today. I mean, honestly, I was shocked. I thought for sure you sent the email to the wrong person. <laughs> and I'm so, I'm so glad to be here. You know, and then you look at my team. Like I have the best team in the world. First, my partner, Melissa, she's awesome. And we'll talk a little bit more about the animals, right? And she's really the energy behind building out that part of Celestial Hill with the animals. And she does a phenomenal job. And I don't know why we need 45 animals to replace the three children, but we did. So we do. We now have the 45 animals, but you look at my Is team. Is there really 45? 45. You they, just added more goats the other day. Yeah, I we saw did. that. Yeah, we did. We had more okay. goats and more sheep. And so we're up to 45. They all have names. They're all pets. They all live quite well. Okay. It's, a, it's a cushy farm, yeah. Celestial Hill. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, Small sanctuary. Right. Yes. And then the rest of my team, right? A big shout out. I've got a phenomenal team. I'm lucky with- You've got one of my favorite winemakers. I've got a great winemaking yeah. team with yes. Wynn Peterson Nedry and Elisa yeah. Lee, our two rock stars. And they are wicked smart, wicked talented, make obviously phenomenal wine, super well-known in the industry. They're better humans. They're amazing humans. Than, than, I've than not, winemakers. I've not met your Elisa yet. Yeah. Yes, but Wynn is one of my very favorite people out there. She's so. great. And they were both over at the yeah. house last night. And Lita Consoli, who's our tasting room manager and a, an events director, does an outstanding job. And Jim Bandy. And I'm just really fortunate with the team that I have. I think good energy attracts good energy. I'm a big believer in of that because I think when you have a great, I don't know, it, it, we can go as woo-woo as you want. I'm not a big woo-woo person, but I think when you put good vibes out there, you attract good vibes back, whether it's friends, family, family is another story. But as far as like just bringing people to you, it's it's amazing. I've been very fortunate with this podcast and my business about the people that I have worked for me. So it's a huge kudos when you have great people. I mean, Tom and Melinda have a great winemaker too that we didn't mention, but we should at some point. But it's just, it's great when you have great people surrounding you, a great product. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of truth to having that right energy in the winery and in the vines. We wanted a property that we could walk the rows every day, and that's what we do. And I think that energy is felt by the vines. I think it's felt in the winery with the barrels. And Wynn and Elisa are two of the most positive people I know. And so their impact on our wine is massive. Yeah, and what comes around goes around for sure. Let's switch gears from the Thomas Farm and apparently Animal Sanctuary that, I mean, there's quite a few when I was there, but it sounds like you've added quite a few new friends to the whole Mecca. Why not? Why Why not? I know I'm still, we got to figure out our dinner date because we've talked about this for yes, months. Yes, so, bring Eric on yes, up and we'll yes, have a great time. Yes. Yes. What I love about you, speaking of Eric, my husband, which people don't usually see. They call him Mr. Heidi Moore, which is not technically the case, <laughs> but they identify him by his custom weld hat, um, you know, Mr. Boatman, um, is that you watched their crew for, I think, several weeks across your hillside. And it's funny because I hear stories from both sides, but you watched them dig a pond 
for it's a lake it's it is be a, clear it's not a pond it's a lake it's a lake for your neighbors across the hill so my husband is an excavator and has an excavation company but yeah you watched him for weeks and i think you told me about how cool it was to watch this group of guys i'm like yeah that was my husband's team it was actually one of his business partners i think digging it so i love the full circle of how this comes around and i didn't have any idea how geeked out you were about the dirt work that you were watching with your coffee cup every morning from the house. It's, this is a true story. You know, yes. People are listening going, is, is Chris and Heidi making this up? We're not making this up. No. This is really cool. And so it's Eric's old stomping grounds is where the vineyard is. Yes. And it's a place that a long time ago was called Happy Valley, west of just west of downtown McMinnville. And it's a beautiful piece of property. And the vineyard, the, the house sits at about 550 feet. Vineyard goes up to 700 feet. And we look across a very intimate valley. So it's not this, you're not looking out like 10 miles, you're looking out about maybe a half a mile across the valley and, and this beautiful piece of property. And there was this massive lake that had been there for a long, long time. And in 21, yeah, 21, the, the dam broke on it and water was coming out and we're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Anyways, so it was Heidi's husband, Eric, who got the opportunity, the challenge of rebuilding this lake. And I got to see them every morning. They were there before the sun came up. It was still dark. And I see these headlights on trucks coming up this, <laughs> this hillside and they would work till, till sundown. And they did, they did a phenomenal job. And I think it was actually his business partner, Dave, that did the dig out. And I think it was probably Jeremy, their, one of their foremen that did it. But Though, yeah, they loved it. And it's just, it's cool hearing those stories. Just, again, yeah. community is everything. Okay, let's move on from excavating and dirt work, which was <laughs> not really the case to shout them out. They'll like it nonetheless. Let's talk about wine because we've, let's see, we started, I started with the Chardonnay. We've moved on to the Pinot Noir Rosé. And then, I don't know, what is Barrel Select? Oh, I already tried that one. So anyways, I know there's more on the other side of the table. I can't reach. Yes, so, a couple of Pinots yes. too. So let's talk about let's talk about your wines and what's in your lineup because you have a really nice lineup as well. Yeah. And I want to talk about 2020 because we were talking about that between the break yeah. about the stereotypes, myths and negative people, negative attitudes about 2020. Yeah, it's just interesting. So I brought two wines from the same vineyard, the Benjamin Vineyard, which is all Pomard and uh, named after your kids. After my oldest Ben, yep. who's a lawyer down in San Antonio, Texas, and 20 was a, obviously a challenging year. What a year to come into the wine business, too. Yeah, my goodness. I mean, people, Chris, did you bring that to the Valley? All this bad luck. There's but, many of you that started yeah, that year that right. brought, brought the whole wave. So shame on all wow. of you. It, it was yes. something. But we persevered. We survived. And I think, you know, what's interesting is we all learned a ton because who knows if smoke is going to come back again or not. But most likely people would say you're going to see it again. And so we all learned a ton, which was wonderful. And we all worked together. Like people would talk... I, you could reach out to Anthony King, who's one of the smartest people I know over at Winemaker Studio, and, and say, hey, how are you going to handle this? And I had a great winemaker at the time, Jay, Jay Summers, big shout out to Jay and how he handled it. You had to handle things differently and fully destemmed. And you didn't leave it on the skins for weeks. You left it on the skins for days. And luckily, being as far west in Willamette Valley as you can be, which is where Celestial Hill is in the Coast Range, we had less smoke. And so we were able to make a really nice wine. And, and people say, oh, you can't have a good wine in 20. And, and Tom just tasted it. And it's just, just no smoke in, in the Benjamin. Now, I made three Pinots in, in 2021. You can smell some smoke, but it's still a lovely wine. And I think we should just recognize that not all 
2020 wines aren't what you would want them to be. And I think we were fortunate to make some really lovely wines. And shout out to all those winemakers and, and vineyard owners in 2020 who persevered and made some delicious wines. There are some great wines out there. I mean, and not only the whites and the rosés, because I mean, for, for those sure. that really don't understand how the winemaking process is, typically white wines are pressed straight off. So they're not soaked on skins, which the skins is what really holds the smoke and kind of those molecules that give them the flavors and the phenolics and stuff like that, as far as that kind of stuff is concerned. But with reds, you soak them. And right. you soak them That's typically right. for days, weeks, however long you want, the maceration type of process, I guess, is if you want to call it that. And by destemming them, you're taking that much more out of the wine, which is typically tannins and structure, but they hold smoke. That's right. And if you, you know, people don't realize, but even with a smaller press that I have, and you know, we are a true boutique vineyard and winery, but you're putting a, a ton and a half of fruit into that press. And there's enough weight in and of itself without pressing it to extract a lot of juice. Mm -hmm. So you didn't need to press a lot. So in, in 2020, we've fully destemmed, no whole cluster. And pretty much the free run juice is what we used. And then not a lot of punch downs, very gentle, and got it off the skins very quick to minimize any effect. And if you did those things and you're in the right location, right? Not every location was the same. You were able to produce some, some nice wine. Yeah. So I guess to the consumer that sees 2020, because there's a lot of negative stereotype around it, yeah. not every wine is created equal and they're all different because of the smoke concentration on certain areas, for sure. That's right. And that being said, you probably ought to pass that wine over to me so <laughs> I could try it. Yeah, and if let, it does have a, like a little hint of smoke, like a smell, it's great with barbecue. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It really it, is. It really is. Yeah. Well, let's pour a little of this Benjamin here for Heidi. Yep. That's okay, that's enough. I need to eat first before we get too much deeper into the wine or I'm going to need a ride home. So. Oh, we can arrange that. I Yes, I know. It's not been, Eric has picked me up before after one of these podcast sessions <laughs> with too much to drink. Okay. We also have a Chardonnay. Which you brought the barrel select Chardonnay. Nice bringing the fancy bottle. Yeah, that's my favorite. We make so we really focus on estate estate fruit, estate wines. We do about about thirty tons of fruit per year is what we produce. I do source about about another five tons historically, and we'll continue to do that. And this Chardonnay, when we when I, we bought the vineyard in two thousand twenty, Melissa and I, we we knew we wanted Chardonnay. I love Chardonnay. I love it. Love Pinot, of course, fell in love with wine and, and, and Burgundy, and hence we do just Pinot and Chard. But the vineyard was originally just Pinot. So we grafted over day one, two and a half acres to Chard. Our first estate Chard is 2022, so sitting in barrels as we speak. So this wine, coming from 2021, was sourced from the Fenwood Vineyard. And Fenwood Vineyard, I got lucky to get this fruit. I have a one-acre block over there that I picked up from an extremely well-known winery. And I love the way this fruit comes out. It's a very fruit forward, which is why you're going to love it, Heidi. A very fruit forward wine, lovely apple and some honey. It's a bigger wine. It's 50% uh, new oak, but lightly toasted. So it's not over oaked or, or overpowered at all. It is just enough oak in there that just makes it dance a little bit there in your mouth, wakes you up. I love it. <laughs> I'm loving all your adjectives and everything that you've got going with that. Yes. For those that don't like Chardonnay, I think it's a style of Chardonnay that people don't like. It's not the actual Chardonnay grape that they have basically 
right. clumped into one group as being, I think, what they don't like. Oregon Chardonnay is different from California Chardonnay. And I will say for that. For sure. And I think, and nothing against California Chardonnay, because there is a time and a place for that wine and people that love it. I am not a fan of it, the style, the heavy oak, the heavy whatever, the big caramely, vanilla butter bombs. Those, that is not my style. If you are anti-Chardonnay, you really need to try good Oregon Chardonnay. Yeah. There's a lot of it being produced. This is a lovely wine. So, Thank you. Yeah. I think we do, just we've seen it here in the uh, locally in Willamette Valley. It's hard to get Chardonnay fruit right now, right? Because it's hot. It is, right. It is, right. The demand is going faster than we can add capacity here in the Valley. So the price for Chardonnay fruit is going up very fast. It's being increasingly recognized right along with Pinot Noir as the wine that comes out of Willamette Valley. I think we make a style that's more similar to Burgundy. The biggest difference, obviously, is Burgundy has limestone. We don't have limestone here. We have two wonderful general soil types, very interesting, which is more your volcanic and your ocean sedimentary soils. And I think the climate here is just wonderful for Chardonnay. And now we're really starting to get recognized for that, which is awesome. It is. It's been a while. I mean, it's it seems like it's kind of a drip effect with how Oregon has come onto the map. First, it was Pinot Noir, and there was a lot of Pinot Gris that was right. being planted. Sure. And a lot of Pinot Gris has been grafted over to Chardonnay, which is sad because there's some really great Pinot Gris that's being made out of there. Riesling has been in that little mix, but all of a sudden Chardonnay has gotten hot, and you're seeing a lot of Chardonnay being planted. And a lot of it was trying to find the right clone that grew in Oregon versus what's going to grow in France and, and California and some of the other locations. If you've not tried it, yes, stop it saying you don't like it because odds are you probably will. But anyhow, let's talk about this rosé because this is a different style rosé. Yes. And there's a little bit of a story that lends to Melinda's story from earlier that we need to touch on before we figure out where people come to find you. Yeah, we've got, we make two rosés. Both come from the same vineyard, the Kendall Grace Vineyard at Celestial Hill. Both stay in organic. We farm our rosé the exact same way we farm our most expensive pinot. So it's a low yield, all organic, all hand managed. So what's interesting about this, it's called, by the way, Henry's Second Chance Rosé, named after Melissa's, my wife's favorite rescue dog, Henry. And a year ago, we a little more than that year ago, 15 months ago, when we were bottling up our 2022 rosés, we said, hey, you know, we've got some extra fruit and uh, some extra juice. What do we want to do? I'm sorry, it's bottling up our 2021 rosés. And we have about 120 extra gallons, which happens to be roughly two barrels. We said we could bottle it, or maybe we should do something different. And so we said, let's do something different. And so we took, rosé is typically just goes into stainless steel tanks, usually for a period of three to six months. And after six months of being in stainless steel tank, we decided, hey, why don't we try and put this in neutral oak barrels on Chardonnay lees to transform this rosé and give it a second chance as something new, which is very similar to what we did with Henry. When we got Henry about eight years ago, he was pretty, pretty broken. Henry is a dog. Henry is our dog, our toy poodle. Not some child they pulled off the that, street. That's correct. Please don't call Child Protective Services yes. on me. Henry was a dog that a broken hip, lost an eye, really didn't trust people or anything like that. And today is attached at Melissa's side all the time and has thrived with Melissa's love. 
So Henry got a second chance. This 120 gallons of, of rosé got a second chance. We've created something very different. Totally transforms that wine. I love to pour the 2021 rosé with traditional rosé with this Henry second chance rosé so that you can taste how the oak transforms that juice. Totally different texture, creamier, richer, smoother, and then a blend of traditional rosé notes as well as a, a hint of a Chardonnay note with a little bit of lemon that comes from that Chardonnay lees. So it's a lot of fun. And last thing I'm going to say about this wine, 10% of all proceeds for this wine goes to a dog rescue group here in McMinnville called Noah's Haven that's run by a fantastic person by the name, um, by the name of Kate. And Kate just does a Kate Gibson. And she does a phenomenal job with dogs. She puts her heart and soul into bringing dogs from all over the country here to Oregon to make sure that they get a second chance. So big shout out to Kate and Noah's Haven, as well as Henry and Henry's Second Chance Rosé. This is an unexpected like dog rescue type organization because we were talking earlier about my little foster dog that I have. So I foster through Northwest Boxer Rescue, which is a Northwest whatever. And then I'm also on the board for Homeward Bound, which is a no-kill shelter here in McMinnville. So it is a full circle of dog shelters and animal shelters for that matter. So anyways, I love it's it. It's nice. We, I we do I like love that. It. I love it. I love it. I love all of it. So, okay, Chris Thomas of Celestial Hill, where do we find you and how do we come drink your wine? Well, we would love to have you come out and experience Celestial Hill, the vineyard and tasting room is west of McMinnville. That's where Melissa and I are. We're by appointment only at the vineyard. We can make it easy to make an appointment online. We also have our winery and open to the public, no appointment necessary, tasting room in downtown Carleton. So there's two ways we make it real easy for you to come and see us. One, if you don't have an appointment, just come to, to Carleton where we have our winery and you can meet with uh, Lita and the team and they'll take great care of you there with a beautiful courtyard in the back. Or if you want to experience the vineyard and the animals, come on out and see us at the vineyard. Melissa and I will take great care of you there and we'd love to see you. Okay. So social media, because that's always important. They got to see your pictures, got to see the animals, yes. got to figure out where the website is. Yeah. So go right out to um, celestialhillvineyard.com. And then of course you can follow us on, on Instagram as well as Facebook. Are you a Twitter and TikTok guy? No, not at all. We got an old crowd in here today. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't tweet and I don't tick or talk. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Tom and Melinda. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And this has been another great episode of Wine Crush. And as always, huge shout out and thank you to Daniel with South of Autumn Productions, Dustin with Biscuit and Pickles Catering for the quote-unquote snack we're going to have as soon as we're done in this uh, tight little room. Uh, Shay, who I don't always give it a shout out to, but she is my right hand man, everything, but is moving here shortly. So send her all the hate mail you can to keep her in Oregon. But as a small production trying to grow bigger, we really depend on your support. So go on to Apple, go on to Spotify, whatever. Please leave us a rating. Please leave us a review. Share with every single one of your wine drinking friends because there's a lot of great wine that we talk about. And last but not least is thank you for everything and we will see you at our next episode.